Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. The recently released movie, The Sound of Freedom, has provided some chilling insight into the practice of human trafficking in the modern world. Today's podcast is the last of our rebroadcasts of our interview with Charlie Crockett on the use of social media and human trafficking and how you can help fight against this practice. Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your host, Robert J. Marks. Before we start, let me offer a warning that some of the things we'll talk about in this interview might not be suitable for young kids, but I would encourage moms and dads to listen. The average age kids are recruited and human trafficking is 12 years old. First of all, a little bit of background. I'm going to go down a rabbit trail here, but we're going to, we're going to bring it all together. Uh, and this has to do with some of the work that I'm involved in as an electrical engineer. And it's, it's as follows. Increased demand for wireless communication continues to increase. Everyone is tethered to their cell phones, and the demand continues to increase. I was separated from my cell phone for 12 hours the other day. And boy, you don't realize how much you rely on your cell phone until you're separated from it. Now, mobile communications needs spectrum it used to be that spectrum was assigned for specific use. There's a certain spectrum assigned for broadcast television, another for AM radio, and another one for military use. The U.S. military uses its spectrum for radar and communications. But the spectrum is a finite natural resource. Use it up and it's all gone. Because of demand of mobile communications, no longer is the federal government assigning some bands for exclusive use by the, by the U.S. military. Because of demands, the U.S. continues to auction former federal frequency bands to mobile companies like Verizon and AT&T. They auction off this spectrum, and the auctions bring in billions. Because of these sales, the U.S. military is now forced to share spectrum resources with civilian companies. And now comes the really sad part, or I should say the sadder part. One of the biggest uses of mobile devices is porn. 75% of pornography is watched using mobile devices. 10% of the top 50 websites is dedicated to streaming porn. The top porn website has more exclusive content than Netflix. More people view internet pornography every month than watch Netflix. Not only that, people view internet pornography more every month than watch Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Every second, $3,000 is being spent on pornography. Every second, $3,000 is being spent on pornography. So the prevalence of porn has hurt the U.S. military by forcing them to compromise the use of spectrum. The military now has to share. And one of the large reasons they have to share is because of the increased demand for pornography. So what does this have to do with human trafficking? We continue our conversation with Charlie Crockett about human trafficking, and we'll find out this connection. Charlie is head educational trainer for Unbound Now Waco. It's a ministry that helps free victims of human trafficking. Uh, Charlie, welcome back again. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Okay, uh, Charlie, a large part of human trafficking is sex trafficking. Uh, young girls are controlled both emotionally and physically by their controllers. The controllers are called pimps. And this is documented in the book that 
really changed my perspective about human trafficking happening in my own backyard. The name of the book is Surviving the Life, How I Overcame Sex Trafficking by Julia Walsh. We'll make a link available to this to Amazon.com in the podcast notes. Uh, You know, in Julia Walsh's book, she offers definitions of terms used in what she calls the life or the game. That's that's the life that you live when you're under the control of one of these uh, controllers in sex trafficking. The life refers to how she lived under, under the thumb of her controller. One of these words was grooming. The word grooming has been banned by some social media because they don't like the idea that kids purporting gender dysphoria or attending drag queen readings uh, were being groomed for a life that deviated from traditional sexual identity. In human trafficking, what is grooming? Uh, Charlie, could you address that? We know what grooming is in the general definition, but it has a specific meaning in human trafficking. What what, what is grooming? Mm. Yeah, grooming is really just uh, the preparation for a victim to be trafficked. It's the kind of the breaking down of kind of what a victim already has, their resources, their relationships, the securities they have, and then building connections to the trafficker. I kind of like, I like to think of it as the trafficker is building strings kind of to that person so that all of the things that they need, all the things that they desire are all linked to this one person. Um, And so that means kind of breaking down their relationships until everything that they uh, they need relationally is coming from their trafficker. That means providing them a place to stay, their food, their money, um, possibly getting them addicted to a drug and then providing that for them so that the drug they need is now only provided by their trafficker. The um, the food they're, they're, they need is only being provided by them. Money, relationship, protection, uh, and love now is the only place they're getting all of those things is from this one person. Uh, and so to leave them mean, means to leave everything that they need. Uh, and so it makes it really hard uh, for them to do that. So I wanted to uh, ask you about the role of pornography and, and grooming and preparing kids for, for human trafficking. The average age that kids watch porn is really low. In fact, I have a relative. I'm not going to reveal his, his name. He's, um, he, he was a teenager. And I, I'll call him Frank just for purposes of discussion. I went to him and said, uh, Frank... It's not good. You got to stop watching porn. Now, I had no idea whether he was watching porn or not, but I just threw that out there. And his eyes got big and he looked from left to right and he said, Ooh, whatever you do, don't tell mom. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's humorous in one way, but very disturbing in another way that these young kids are watching pornography. What is the impact of porn on grooming? Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of components to this. Um, Pornography is used in the grooming process for victims to be trafficked, uh, but it's also uh, the main contributor to buyers. Uh, and so there's a lot of components to this. It's a very intricate uh, kind of deal um, where, I mean, we, we know that 90% of these pornography videos is either verbally or physically abusive. Uh, and so what that means is the majority of this content is going to be overtly abusive. So any consumer of this, whether it's someone that the traffickers grooming, uh, whether it's someone that they're, they're preparing to victimize watching, this is going to make them think that any type of abusive sexual nature or sexual, any type of action, right. Is going to be, uh, normal, right. Any type of abusive sexual stuff is going to be normal. And so them thinking that is preparing them to be abused sexually in, in the later future. Uh, but also as someone watching this, uh, you're now desiring, right. Cause we, we know that 
um, just from different studies on how the brain kind of works uh, and responds to pornography uh, is that it responds similarly to how you, your brain responds to use of cocaine, right? So it's highly addictive. Um, it's really, you're drawn in by this novelty. You're drawn in by um, what you're watching. And then similarly to drugs, you know, you're, you're watching until you want to move on to something else. And that, that next thing is going to be usually, we see it's usually going to be uh, more abusive and it's going to be younger. And so it, it creates these buyers uh, because at a certain point you can't get anything, you can't build this addiction uh, by videos anymore. And so you seek out encounters uh, and these encounters are typically violent, abusive, and young, unfortunately. I see. So does pornography make it easier to recruit young people who have watched porn? Absolutely. I mean, just normalizing porn means normalizing just young sexual content. Um, so normalizing that that younger people should be involved in just sexual behavior. But it also normalizes, again, this this violence in in sex, but it also it, it normalizes the treatment, the poor treatment of women specifically. Um, and so there's a lot of young guys, even with good intentions, saying, thinking to themselves, you know, is this how I'm supposed to be treating somebody? Is this what people want? You know, uh, and so these a lot of young guys are even watching this and saying, I just want to, you know, please somebody. But I guess this is what is normal. This is what how I'm supposed to do it. You know, I, I've actually heard that porn um, is helping increase, oh, how should I say it, a sexual dysphoria, because a young girl might watch porn, an early teenager, and she might think, I'm not like that. I don't, I don't submit to violence and domination like that, so I must not be a woman. And therefore, they, they kind of cross over and think, well, I must not be a woman. I must be something else. And so they kind of screws up their sexual identity. Charlie, given how the controllers or pimps coerce their stable of girls to perform deviant acts, it seems to me they could also coerce them into being in videos taped for viewing on some of the porn sites. Is this true? Is this prevalent at all? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and this is just another component to how these two industries are linked. Really, the I mean, in, a, in human trafficking, a large, large number of these victims are having videos and pictures made of them. Uh, and so because of the way these porn sites are set up, uh, the majority don't have any screening for who's posting these videos. Uh, and they don't have any any real verification of age. And so a lot for actually, uh, for those reasons, some of these sites, especially MindGeek, Pornhub, other of these big sites are getting a lot of scrutiny, a lot of backlash and different legal issues right now, uh, because these are being brought to the light, that there's been no verification of age, there's been no uh, screening for who's posting. Uh, and so a lot of these videos are people that are actively being trafficked. Uh, and so what happens as a result of that is that the consumption of these videos, even if it's in the most innocent of senses, someone just gets curious, someone clicks on an advertisement that popped up out of nowhere, um, and it brought them, brought them to this video or to this site. Um, even just the views of that video, um, the time spent watching that video is uh, actually poor giving, giving those producers, those people who posted those, it's giving them money. And so even, I mean, those views that time spent uh, is contributing to human trafficking. So one of the things I always say when I give a presentation and talk about pornography uh, is I tell the kids like, hey, 
even if I talked to you this whole time, even if I spent this next hour and a half talking to you about how to prevent trafficking, and then I went home and watched pornography, I very well could, could be contributing to the same cause that I'm telling you not to do. Um, and so it's just a, the, it, these two industries are completely linked. I mean, they work together to contribute to each other for sure. Wow. Wow. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I saw a post that the top porn streaming site, uh, you mentioned it, uh, Pornhub, removed 80% of its videos because of this backlash. Uh, they were submitted, the videos were submitted without verification and included uh, children and, and, and rape victims. Now, when this happens, if you are a victim of this, do you have any recourse? Uh, can you sue these big companies with the big bucks? I know that suing costs a lot of money, but is there any way that this um, this can be addressed and brought to justice? Uh, you know, I actually don't know too much about this. I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> I don't know exactly. It's it's. I know it's tough uh, when when things are when it's involved in pictures, media that's put on the internet, it's really hard to get some of that stuff back. Uh, and the recourse is not linear, it seems like, but um, I can't speak on too much of, uh, of kind of what your, your opportunities are in like kind of legal recourse there. Okay. It seems to me that there should be a lot of volunteer web, uh, law firms that would participate in that. Just, just thinking and knowing about some of the people that are out there that are, that are good people. Uh, do you have any idea whether porn sites are currently using any sort of scrutiny in order to to make sure that the videos that they are airing are not children or rape victims? Uh, I know the vast majority isn't. I don't know if there are that are kind of trying to take a more productive approach there, but the vast majority are not, are not going to be doing that. I mean, if you think about it, I like to think about pornography sites and pornography just the industry itself as kind of if if human trafficking had a marketing department, this is really what they're going to do. They can't be the way that they're going to advertise for what they're doing. I mean, human trafficking makes over $150 billion a year. Wow. And so this is bringing in a lot of money. And the pornography industry brings in over $100 billion every year. And so without having TV commercials, without being able to, again, post ads or, or billboards and say, hey, come and buy people. Instead, what they're doing is they're normalizing people to be abused online and then creating this highly, highly addictive content for free that's unbelievably accessible, unbelievably easy to hide. And again, like you mentioned, it's it's on your mobile device. Uh, and so it's, it's on your, it's like having the thing, the, the drug you're addicted to always free, always in your pocket and really easy to hide. And so that is a very, very dangerous combination. Uh, and so that's really how they're selling it. As a result, I mean, these porn websites are going to do whatever they can to make it as accessible, to make it as consumable for people. And so we're not seeing a whole lot taking a productive approach here. Uh, you know, it's an old saying, but there's a special place in hell for these people. My goodness, what the terrible things they do. Uh, yeah, so so pimps and controllers in human trafficking for sex trafficking have been around for a long time. They use abuse in order to keep their stable of girls in line. And this used to be for individual sex acts. Now they're forcing these, these uh, I don't know, slaves, because that's what they are into pornographic videotaping. And uh, they do this by coercing with love, or purported love, and also guerrilla pimping. 
Now, you involved in Unbound, um, you, you mentioned to me, and I'd like you to, to kind of repeat it. It's very interesting. Uh, it seems to me that you would encounter occasionally a gorilla pimp, somebody that had a propensity for violence if you were to try to help one of the girls out of the so-called life, out of the game. Um, but I think you're not allowed to do that. How, how do you incorporate law enforcement? And have you, have, have you yourself ever become involved? By the way, I met Charlie Crockett. He's seven foot tall. He's very uh, intimidating. I think in a, in a conflict he would be. So uh, you would be good in a physical altercation, but you don't do that, do you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, it's funny you say that. I mean, when I got into this work, I, my heart for this issue, and again, my size and just being, being a very a larger guy um, and having the capability to probably uh, win in an altercation or something like that, if it came up um, and my heart for this issue, I mean, it, seeing this kind of stuff breaks my heart. Um, hearing about women, children, uh, people that I'm, I really care about, you know, uh, being trafficked and being taken advantage of and abused in this way. Uh, it really does make me want to do things like kick down a door or take out a trafficker or something like that. And the funny thing is that that's actually not going to be helpful in a situation where you run into somebody, it's really going to be, uh, our protocols always call the hotline, get in touch with law enforcement. If it's dangerous, let them handle what they're handling and then, uh, just play your role. Right. And so I've had one instance uh, where I responded to a hotline call with somebody else uh, on our team. Uh, and typically, if it's a situation where we think that there may be a trafficker present, there may be a dangerous situation, or we're not sure, we would respond with law enforcement or let law enforcement respond. Uh, we let them do it, and then they'll contact us when we can be involved. Uh, and so in this particular instance, it wasn't sure, we weren't sure and decided kind of, let's just go for it. The victim was saying, I'm in a safe place. I'm not with anybody. Uh, and so we said, okay, and showed up uh, around 10, I think it was 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m., something like that, and showed up. Everything seemed fine. And then was, as we met, went back to their the hotel room where they were staying at, ran into the trafficker. And so while it's one of those instances I had to kind of remember my own training and uh, and refrain from any type of altercation or, or saying something that could uh, put the victim in more danger than they were in, because uh, the reality is, if I were to respond uh, the way I wanted to, you know, in uh, in a violent situation or an altercation or some, some type of physical response, um, I could be putting that victim in more danger than they were in. There may be way more components involved than I know of. Law enforcement may already have uh, things set up, you know, or people that have been working on this uh, that I could just never know of. And so the best thing to do for that situation was to remain calm not send off any red flags for that trafficker uh, and then get that victim to safety as soon as possible, which in that case was the morning, the following morning. Uh, and so the best thing we were able to kind of meet up with them and that victim has been in recovery since. Uh, and so it's, it really is the best course of action to continue to just call the number. And then for us, you know, get law enforcement involved as soon as we think something is dangerous um, so that they can handle what they do, and then we can kind of work with the victim. Wow! So you you met the guy, but there was no there was no threats from him at all. There were not. Uh, he, I mean, you, it was it was obvious that he was uh, the the trafficker, the the one that was kind of controlling and abusing her. You could see kind of those things that we've talked about, where you know it was obvious that he was in he was controlling her, uh, but he was 
I don't know if he was sure or unsure who we were, uh, but he wasn't, you know, there was no type of threats on his end or anything like that towards us. Okay. You know, something interesting. I talked to uh, a bunch of phlebotomists. I give blood a lot. Phlebotomist is a fancy word for somebody that takes your blood, <laughs> kind of like little vampires, if you will. And uh, I used to be afraid of needles. And I decided I'd, it was stupid to be afraid of needles. So I just decided to look at my arm and watch the needle go in to take the blood. And it's not, it's, you know, it's not that bad. I asked the phlebotomist who the big chickens were when it came to giving blood. I have a son that just hates to give blood. He, you know, it just destroys him. And she said, well, and I've had more than one respond this way. They said, it's usually the big burly guys with all the big tattoos, the ones that are huffing around trying to make themselves into big men. I imagine that some of these pimps are kind of like that. Some of these controllers are like that. They are really big around controlling and beating up the women in their stable. But when confronted, they are going to be uh, just chickens, like like the uh, big burly guy being afraid of the needle. Uh, look, Charlie, we've talked about some depressing stuff. We've talked about the pornography compromising the military readiness. We've talked about use of social media in recruiting people for human trafficking. We've talked about the porn industry. We've talked about relapses. Let's end with some good stories. I mean, one of them was Julia Walsh's story where she recovered and uh, she's out of the life and now she's helping people that have been involved in human trafficking. I wonder if you could share maybe some of the success stories that warm your heart and that keep you in the ministry. Absolutely. Uh, And I think that's a great point. I mean, all of the work we do is hope-driven. We don't use anything like a fear tactic or scare tactic uh, to do our teachings or prevention, anything like that. Uh, And that's not just a, just an educational kind of tactic. That's more just the truth, right? Uh, we come against uh, a lot of these things. We see a lot of darkness in this work, uh, but the overwhelming feeling leaving all of these instances with the victims is, you know, there is hope. Uh, and we see, you know, recovery stories. We see victory stories in this stuff all the time. Um, and whether it's walking with someone for years and years and watching them slowly, slowly recover um, and go back and forth, uh, back to their trafficker and back to them, you know, it's, it's forward progress. Um, and I remember back one of the, one of the biggest moments for me in this work, uh, was we had worked with a victim, uh, who came in and it was about five years old. Um, and so came into our office and, and that was hard for me to experience, uh, to see that that was someone we worked with and kind of how, thinking it through. I, yeah. How old, how old again? Five, five years old. Oh, oh my God. Gosh. Uh, And so seeing that and uh, thinking that through, it's most likely a family, family trafficking situation. Um, And that's the kind of stuff that's just pure, pure evil. Right. And, but thinking that through one of the worst things you could see, right. Is that now the way I have to, I have to see it is like this, this person is now in our care. This person is now out of that life and they, it, it could have been years and years that they could have been in this, but now they're on the road to recovery. And that's just what it is, even in the tough days where the victim goes back to a trafficker. And again, it's an average of three times, which means after that third time, on average, they're staying uh, in recovery. And so while we, it, it feels like relapse, it feels like a step backwards, it, we still see all of that as moving forwards in the progress, even if it's not a linear line, you know, it's still progress. Uh, and so we'll be consistent. 
uh, and we'll stay with somebody and, and we see all, a lot of the time that there's victory on the other side. So, uh, we don't get discouraged. We keep working with them and, you know, we're going to keep doing the work. So, and, and I think probably a lot of your success might be unseen. Your, your purpose is to educate people about human trafficking and possibly through that education, you have prevented a lot of people from maybe going into that terrible area. So the prevention is also a success, but one that's more difficult to measure, I, I believe. One of the things I think you do is you probably give talks to schools and uh, things of that sort. Uh, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I talk in schools. I train uh, high school students, middle school students, uh, go into juvenile detention every week, um, talk to kids there, boys, girls. Yeah, talking to students all the time. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you or somebody else from Unbound, because as you mentioned, from Unbound now has offices all over the country right now. Um, if they would like somebody to come in and talk to students about human trafficking, is there is there a way that they can get contact with you or somebody else about this? Yeah. The easiest way to do that will be uh, to go to our website and you can request a training. You can look at our kind of board and, and choose me. I'm Charlie Crockett. And so you can choose choose my information there and get in contact with me directly. And if you go under Unbound, Unbound Now Waco, uh, you can see all of our specific resources and get us get us over there. We can do trainings. All of our trainings are for free. Uh, and so to provide resources to your school, to your community group, whatever it is, uh, and and get y'all prepared and trained. And we do, I mean, do we do parent, parent groups. We work with nonprofits, uh, after school groups, CIS, FCA, all of, all of the different things. Um, we're pretty flexible. Who is the most vulnerable? Would you say high school students, uh, college students, or is there no demographic that's more in danger than another? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say there's a heavy, you know, being specific on one group like that. We see this happening early, you know, as soon as someone's going to be on social media again, that's where it's happening. And so someone uh, who's on social media at any age uh, is going to be open to be talked to, to be groomed. Uh, and so as soon as, as soon as they're on there, I mean, the younger are, are typically more naive and more easily recruited, but I mean, this, this happens across, across all ages, across all demographics and college, high school, uh, middle school. So I wouldn't say there's any specific age more so than others. Okay. Well, Charlie, is there anything that you would, uh, else you'd like to talk about or if we covered things pretty well? You know, I think we've touched on a lot of all of the important stuff. Uh, that okay. I would say right off the bat. I think this is great. Okay, great. Uh, God bless you, Charlie Crockett. Man, what what a ministry and what a difficult ministry. I imagine that this is one of those ministries that it's difficult not to take home with you uh, after a day's work because you mm -hmm. see so much human suffering and uh, such. Wow. So our guest today has been Charlie Crockett. Charlie is a head educational trainer for Unbound Now Waco, a ministry that helps free victims from human trafficking until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers 
Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.